Coming up on episode 53 of the Up Full Life podcast. There's a ton of music woven all through. I don't know if you can ultimately really separate it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, to some extent, that's the psychedelic experience is a little like that. I mean, it's all the senses, you know, it's all woven together. It's really hard to separate. I mean, how many artists or musicians or musicians or artists? Right. You, you know, I mean, I'm looking across the room here, and I'm looking at a Jerry Garcia painting and a Jimi Hendrix painting right there. I know. I mean, just for literal, you know, musician that's an artist, an artist that's a musician. I remember always growing up hearing the stories of, you know, like uh, what Brian Jones and whatever, coming, you know, Mick Jagger, was it, or was it uh, Keith? you know coming right out of art school and right. guys from Pink Floyd and you know I mean I think a lot of people never knew exactly what they were going to be doing um, was it going to be music or was it going to be art right you know it's all it's all connected it's all connected I mean what did Jerry like to do watercolor in his spare time yeah. at home like that you know when he got could get people off his back and, right yeah just doing yeah. art it's it's all tied together pretty much Indeedy, welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 53, coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. New year, new dawn, new day. Tune in, turn on, drop out. So grateful you are tuning in. episode 53 want to wish everyone a happy and healthy new year whatever that means to you new dawn new day yes indeed and uh i'm really excited about 2022 in spite of some of the uh, continual foreboding happenings with regard to the pandemic and events being postponed and canceled i hope uh 
everybody out there is hanging in there the best they can. You know, feel like there is a light at the end of the tunnel in some capacity, and uh, I try to focus on the positive. I hope everybody's been enjoying these podcasts. Uh, If you are, uh, please consider subscribing to the pod. Just smash that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you use. Got to remind people to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening to. If you could leave a rating, review the pod, much obliged. Um, I really appreciate everybody checking out the favorite records of 2021 feature that I do every year. uh, Upfullife.com. You can slide through and check out the reviews, the other selections playlists on both spotify and soundcloud and if you're so inclined you can donate support what i do uh, both in the written podcast etc there's a little support button on upfullife.com if you are so inclined appreciate every last little bit of support same goes for emailing the show b.gets at upfullife.com i love to hear from listeners love the feedback and suggestions constructive criticisms as well so yeah fam hit me up b.gets at upfullife.com subscribe rate review y'all know what it is i got a lot of good things cooking i got a lot of irons in the fire um naturally i gotta say thanks to my man sean sataro who came on the last episode to talk about his book about Takashi 69 and I wanted to shout out just uh, music book authors journalists projects in general that have really tickled my fancy of late um, Kathy Iandoli wrote an amazing book about Aaliyah called Babe, Baby Girl better known as Aaliyah hope to have her on the pod in short order uh, sometime in the next couple of months to discuss that and her little Kim book but Kathy Iandoli Shout out, baby girl, better known as Aaliyah. We also have the soon-to-drop Dilla Time by legendary hip-hop journalist Dan Charnas. Dilla Time is just probably the most expansive Jay Dilla book project ever. Uh, and there are a few out there, but this is on another level. It's many years in the making, uh, meticulously fact-checked with all you know the usual suspects. So I'm excited to speak to Dan Charnas Uh, down the road about his Dilla book and another book that came out that really blew me away was simply called Shannon by Greg Prado uh, about Shannon Hoon the late singer and hero of mine uh, from Blind Melon so I wanted to show some love to those books you know in the tailwind of the Sean Sitaro interview and I think we can expect a little more of that here on the Alpha Life podcast talking to the authors and the journalists and the other people in the room Uh, because those stories are equally essential. Uh, You're hearing the band ECT. E-C-H-T exclamation point. ECT. Belgian trap jazz out of Brussels. A new discovery of mine. Underground cats that are literally blowing my mind in a major way, and I couldn't wait to play a little bit of them on the pod. Uh, This is part of their Brew Mix series, which is a continual live performance mixtape they have uh three volumes you can find on their soundcloud and i had to come out the gates uh right away with the 
if you can huh you can hear most deaf from like 97 pre black star most deaf b-side i mean and these are young cats and they're digging that deep and then it went into literally my favorite dilla remix of all time as serious as your life by fortet jay dilla remix so those guys just like captured my heart i found their record in wayne which is on uh, spotify and uh anyway had to nerd out and just stand really hard for act which uh in brasilier i guess is how you say the uh language uh, it means the real thing so i would have to uh affirm that as advertised they are the real thing and how act belgian tra trap jazz i am so stoked on this music so you're gonna hear more from them i'm gonna play a song had to roll it out to start things up uh and before we get into this episode i want to let folks know yeah i know i've been hitting the cuddy stuff lately authors and underground cats but uh we have some bold font names in the pipeline in the coming weeks weedy brema eric krasno skerrick so you know fingers crossed but uh really have some cool shit coming your way but uh let's hear a little bit more act and then we'll get into episode 53 with the chambers project episode 53 we're going to talk to the chambers project namely the curator owner founder visionary brian chambers and his mentor and uh, dear friend and psychedelic art legend in his own right jk burkester um, who's from out here in berkeley originally and uh, during this project came to realize he is indeed uh, an important, influential, and legendary cat in the pantheon of psychedelic art. Um, and Brian Chambers is on his way to being just the same, even though he's not a creator, he's a collector, he's a facilitator, he's um, an essential uh, cog in the wheel uh, of making this movement move forward, upward, onward. Uh, now Chambers began his exploration of art curation back in 96 by way of the work of one Ralph Steadman, the eccentric creator of satirical cartoons most known for his gonzo work with, you know it, 
Hunter S. Thompson, and mainly the integration of art and text in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, also influenced by Rick Griffin, who was the designer of dead posters and album covers, such as Aox Maxoa, psychedelic comic books from the 70s underground drug culture. Those were the powerful influences that kind of acted as a battery in the back for Brian Chambers to kind of set him on his path uh, with regard to psychedelic art. So I was invited up to the One Step Further gallery opening uh, at the Chambers Project up there where I used to live in Grass Valley, Nevada City, Nevada County, a community that's very dear to me and still... uh, even though I no longer live there, um, I recognize the lifeblood of the creative spirit and the psychedelic lineage. Uh, it is a bastion for so much of what I love about art and culture and community. So naturally, I was drawn to this event uh, back around Thanksgiving, which was the opening of the One Step Further show, which married the work of the legends that I reference, such as Stedman and Rick Griffin, as well as J.K. Burkester himself. There was a painting from Jerry Garcia from 1966 and one from Jim, Jimi Hendrix in 67. Not to mention work from Robert Roger Dean. Um, huge live art from Mars One and Oliver Vernon of the Further Collective. So it was a you know intergenerational psychedelic art extravaganza and it really plugged me into a side of the culture that i'm less exposed to less plugged into um, and as such it was a very educational experience for me uh, i had the opportunity to go back up there and interview brian chambers and jk burkaster as well as got invited into brian chambers home and saw his personal art collection which I, you know, I have no words, but they, these gentlemen have been at it for years and have big, ambitious plans, uh, not just for the Chambers Project, but for just celebrating and continuing on the tradition of psychedelic art. So that's what this episode's about, is me getting schooled about what these cats are up to, what's going on with the Chambers Project. There's even a musical arm, which we're going to touch on at the end, with A Path Untold. It's the first musical artist on the Chambers Project record label. So his name is Dan Merrill, and he's going to jump on at the end after uh, I have the conversation with J.K. Burkaster and Brian Chambers. So before we get into that, I want to read this passage from the Uh, Times Union, which is the local newspaper for Nevada County. Um, And it's just in reference to J.K. Burkester. So you understand who exactly I'm speaking to here. Because even I was less aware of the depth of this man's contributions. And, you know, he's really influential, important uh, entity in this whole psychedelic art journey almost from the inception. So I'm going to read this passage here, and then we'll start the interview. Growing up in Berkeley in the 60s, K. 
Kester was a son of an artist and an art teacher from the abstract expressionist tradition, whose legacy we might consider in Kester's penchant for dissolving figuration into swirling abstractions. Kester's emerging vision further benefited from formative exposure to the ideas and sensibilities of the counterculture and drug culture around him. Add this to some years as a competitive skier in Squaw Valley. Various physical labor jobs on both coasts, including construction, house painting, plumbing, and working in a shipyard. A stint studying the venerable San Francisco Art Institute and a number of years practicing Buddhism and meditation at a Zen center. And you have the fecund ground for the flower garden of this artist's fertile growth. All this life experience, however, is almost secondary to the informal but deep artistic training Kester got when he decided if he was going to have to support his art with a day job, a certainty because he realized early that his work was too slow and laborious to be, as well as not so commercially minded to make a living, that he would do so by opening a gallery. Castor opened his gallery, aptly named Psychedelic Solution, on a busy thoroughfare in New York City's fabled West Village in 1986, and over the next decade curated a stunning, game-changing series of shows featuring important visionary and psychedelic artists, including H.R. Geiger, Rick Griffin, Robert Williams, Lee Conklin, Robert Crumb, Joe Coleman, Wes Wilson, Alex Gray, Vaughn and Mark Bode, Victor Moskosko, Mark Motherball, Alton Kelly, Stanley Mouse, I could go on and on, Pusshead, shout out Metallica. Though many were already legendary in the underground for their work in popular culture from posters and album cover art to comics, tattoos, surfing, and custom car culture, most of it was among their very first exhibitions in a gallery context. Psychedelic Solution was a primary education in what else art could be for generations of visual outlaws bam that is good so that's who the fuck we're about to hear from jk bercaster the legend brian chambers also a legend and the chambers project psychedelic culture psychedelic art the lineage intergenerational it's a beautiful thing and i'm just honored to facilitate such a conversation so Without any further ado, Up Full Life Podcast, Episode 53. Yes, indeedy. <laughs> well, I'm here at the Chambers Project in uh, Grass Valley, California, which is a place very near, dear to my heart, as I lived here for five years. And one of my dearest friends brought me here. I'm sitting here with Brian Chambers and... Jacobair? Jacaber. Jacaber. Thank you. Caster. Jacaber Caster. And I uh, met these gentlemen at the grand opening uh, of the One Step Further show in here, which we're going to get into in depth. But I have the privilege of having uh, both these gentlemen's attention for an extended period of time, which is not an easy thing to do, let alone together. So I really would like to, myself and my audience to get to know just who I'm speaking with and what. Uh, the Chambers Project and One Step Further is about. Um, let's start with you, uh, Chikaber. Um, you know, I, I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me things once, my mom like to say. Uh, I just want you know, I want to hear a little bit about you. Uh, not necessarily connected to the Chambers Project yet, but um, a synopsis, a nutshell of you as an artist, as a collector, as a presence in this psychedelic art community. 
if somebody were to just come upon your name, uh, what would you like them to know about yourself and your path? Well, that's a good question, kind of large. But essentially, I think it boils down to what I'd call psychedelic art. Um, that's been the focus mainly of most of the things that I've been involved in. And even before I really understood what I was 100% interested in, I think that's where it was coming from. Um, but I, uh, as a kid, I was like a lot of kids, I was a collector. I just one of the, it seems to be baked in the cake. Right. Um, collected a lot of things, and when I I grew up in Berkeley, uh, when I first started seeing the psychedelic art on the dance hall postcards and posters from the psychedelic rock events that were going on, um, I I knew that was something super cool. I was interested, I was attracted, and I started collecting those. And that's kind of where it started. I, my mother is an artist, and uh, uh, I always had a little interest in art. Um, and I went on to do other types of things. Uh, got involved like a lot of people did in the 70s into kind of what you call spiritual seeking you know and uh, did a lot of delving into uh, a lot of different gurus and uh, ancient uh, traditions information I was kind of like seeking more information as the uh, world started revealing itself to me probably to a certain extent um, it had to do with psychedelic use um, I, I tripped from a pretty early age um, got uh, my first time I, I tripped was uh, synthetic psilocybin and I did it alone and I wasn't specifically told anything about what was supposed to happen, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of feel like my relation with psychedelics has been kind of uh, something I kind of invented in my own mind to some extent. And uh, I think that the psychedelic usage probably allowed me to see more it probably amplified and allowed me to see more things than I might otherwise have noticed. I mean, it fit in very well with my basic personality, which is a little bit OC, and uh, I tend to crave depth and you know quality time spent with things. I like to focus on stuff a lot, so the doing psychedelics probably launched me in a direction where. As I, as I got older and needed to figure out, um, you know, how I was making my living and stuff, um, you know, the, the idea of being involved with psychedelic art was something that uh, became attractive. I, I tried making a living for a while as an artist and it was difficult because I'm a very slow person in terms of making art so it wasn't turning out to be uh, 
a great money-making venture for me, so I went into some other areas, but when I, I decided to get involved in uh, the art business um, as a way to keep myself involved in the art world and not necessarily having to sell my own art, but as a way to get involved in, I naturally gravitated to the type of art that I like, which was hard to categorize exactly, but I, I knew what I liked. I mean, I liked a lot of what I'd call trippy art, an art that stimulated similar feelings to doing psychedelics. Um, and so I, I got into involved in the art field. And uh, it, pretty much since then, everything that I've been involved with, which is, you know, running a art gallery and buying and selling and working with different artists um, and uh, uh, art, writing about art and uh, researching because uh, I still continue to be a, a, a collector kind of went hand in hand with being a you know gallerist um, the, the, the research of artists that worked in the field um, and just really mainly just being a huge fan um, and continuing on with my own work, but not necessarily in a commercial sense. So it's all pretty much uh, centered around psychedelic art. So that's, as far as art's concerned, that's pretty much me. Oh, I love it. You know, seldom do you get such depth and really just personal reflection in the first answer to the first question. <laughs> so thank you for that, for such a thoughtful reply. I said I'm a little OC, yeah, so I, I, I know, I, I would like, I am myself, so yeah. I, I get that. And just for reference, uh, that's what grabbed me. I mean, I'm from South Jersey, and um, a little bit younger than you, I imagine. And it was psychedelic art on, I had a huge, like, wall-sized poster of the Ayakso Maxoa cover. And, you know, I maybe had, like, the skeletons in the closet and live dead cassettes. I'm talking, I'm 13 years old, and I would lose myself. Wait, I might have smoked weed twice. You know, like, just the sensory, universe of unlimited you know devotion to coin a phrase borrow a phrase from just staring into the abyss of this art as a youngster so i understand the power of uh, even without the music just the art and the limitlessness of it and, and at a young age i just wanted to kind of meet you there because I'm, I'm a music guy i'm not as tuned into the visual art but it was that image that sucked me in. Why I'm sitting here today? Why? Uh, why we're having this conversation? I can take it right back to that. So, um, and I want to hear a lot more about because it was kind of like what you uh, explained to me the first interaction we had here on the soft opening of the one step further. You were in a conversation with another couple. I was looking at your art over there. Um, Psychedelic Solution, I think, is what it's called, right? Well, that was the name of my gallery. Okay, and and you excused yourself from the conversation for a second to just explain to me, to be patient and to look deeper and more focused into the images and more would reveal themselves. That's only, that's what I said that. a little tip. You, like, you gotta stare at it, you don't Good. just pass by it and look, you gotta really look into it. Like stick yeah, with it for no, a you while. Do. I, I just love that. Well, if you do, there's, there's yes. more, I mean, I, I was trying to tell you, there's, it's actually built in. Right. I mean, it was, you know, it was, uh, Conscientiously built in stuff that, that takes a minute to let your mind right. uh, settle in and notice, start noticing. How that sort of can trace back to what we're talking about of those 
early experiences looking at psychedelic art for a long time and it conjuring thoughts, emotions, dreams, ideas. And so now I want to shift because you're the gracious host and, and you created this space we're in and you've also explained the role that Chikaber's, uh, you know, off the mic, you've told me what he means to you, the role he played in your life, plays in your life. So uh, how did you all connect and, and how do you see yourself juxtaposed to kind of how he explained where he exists in this space? Chikaber uh, <clears throat> and I got connected just through the art. Um, if you if you collect the nicest 60s posters and are interested in that type of stuff, you eventually find your way to him. And for a very long time before I started collecting originals, I was buying posters. But I guess we only met. Mario introduced us. Yeah. So we, we met about 10 years ago. Um, you know, but, but yeah, pr prior to that, I, I, I just grew up as a collector. Um, got, you know, comic books, baseball cards, and what have you. And my relationship to psychedelic art began when I was a sophomore in high school. And I grew up in Tennessee, and I got very lucky that my sophomore science teacher had an Alex Gray poster hanging on the wall and I happened to be on acid in class when she told us that it was inspired by LSD and that was uh, you know come to Jesus moment and it made me realize that psychedelic art is a thing and it's not just me and that's where my research into psychedelic art started you know, I started researching the 60s poster movement, of which he, in my opinion, really defined and like put the value on and is the authority in that scene. Um, that's also the year that I read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and where the Gonzo stuff came from. And so I, I just have been diving down that rabbit hole ever since and just like him, He's been in the psychedelic art field his entire life, and that's just where I've kind of carved my path, and we've just come to be good buddies over the years. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, we, it's, again, I can, not that I dosed in high school, but I, I have similar reflections of like a lightning bolt of follow your yes in that way uh, as a kid. So. That's awesome, and that's that's amazing that you've been able to connect. And uh, what I'm looking at, and what we're experiencing here, is just a kind of like the fruition of, of this multi generational thing. So I want to take it back to the concert posters for a second. So um, well, I'm a music guy, and obviously, like starts and ends with me for the dead. And the reason I even moved to this area of the country was just because of this fascination I had, not unlike reading some of the same literature and seeing the posters we're talking about. Um, take me back then. Uh, what was like that scene like? He's talking about the, the 60s poster scene like. It, I remember like pre-internet, just bands flyering everything and it become this sort of mimeograph, very thoughtless promotional thing. But what we're talking about is it was in concert to you know, 
know, be corny, with the music. Uh, there was a ethos, visions, uh, styles. What Can you take us back to the Halcyon days of, of the poster scene and the artists that, you know, change the game? Well, sure, from my, from my perspective, um, one of the coolest things that was going on, I mean, at that age, uh, what kind of excitement was there? A lot of it was around sports, maybe, uh, just uh, hanging out with your friends and getting into trouble or whatever, just, you know, riding your bikes around or this or that or the other. But one of the exciting things that popped up when I was a very little kid, there was this folk music scene going on, um, which I wasn't really, it was, I, it didn't really ever attract my attention very much, but um, when, uh, you know, I, I got to a certain age, um, there were these uh, new kind of, well, psychedelic music happenings going on. Um, in Berkeley, there was a place called Provo Park, um, where around 67, 68, they were having um, free concerts out in the park on the weekends, and uh, the price was right, uh, and it was really fun. That was like, you know, the, my, I guess my point is just that the, the music, musical happenings that were going on were a big attraction. So, the, you know, it was, a, it was something to do, it was something exciting. I mean, other people were there. Um, the other freaks that were there that were at the time people weren't that freaky trust me in the around 66 67 there wasn't a lot of costuming that was that was going on people looked relatively normal you're starting to get people who are growing their hair out you had some interesting individuals that were starting to uh, costume up a little bit but it wasn't really everybody it was still at least in Berkeley a lot of the people were still kind of like coffee shop intellectuals and uh, people just looked like students at most of these events. But it was excitement going on and, you know, um, my mom's, one of her good friends was Country Joe and the Fish's first drummer, John Francis Gunning. And there, we, we knew, I knew because of my mom who was, uh, you know, an artist and uh, like, a coffee shop, uh, you know, uh, person that hung out at the Cafe Med all the time. Um, we, you know, I'd hear a little bit about some of the things that were going on, and I'd go check out these mostly free concerts or places like we could sneak into because they had a neat series of festivals at um, that Cal Berkeley would put on at the Greek Theater, um, and the Greek was around the corner from where I lived, so we knew how to sneak in there. And same with the place called Berkeley Community Theater, which was, um, had some interesting concerts there. Uh, we knew how to sneak into that place as well. So we didn't have much money. So we would, you know, it was kind of like a sport for us, but the excitement I'm saying is around the music. So we um, would, you know, either sneak into these concerts and I got to see a lot of great bands. I saw The Grateful Dead. I snuck in to see The Dead at the Greek in 67.
know, enjoyed it, of course, you know, ran around. I mean, uh, I'm not shy to say that after everybody got up and left, we went around where everyone was sitting, uh, collecting roaches. Because <laughs> uh, for guys, uh, for kids our age, that was, uh, <laughs> when not having no budget, that was sure. uh, like one of the ways we could get some pot. Um, the original ground score. Right. Yeah. But going to these concerts was exciting. And then I had a friend whose older brother had just started going over to see concerts at the Fillmore in Avalon. And I was already seeing the posters and stuff. And I was, like I mentioned before, I was very attracted to the art. But I had no clue what was going on at these places where you had to pay money to go into. Because, like I said, I had, we, had, we were into the, what we could get to for free. Um, and it was hard to hear about stuff there was no internet later years later um i was kind of mystified by like say looking at uh years later i was pretty mystified by um you know looking say for instance you get a copy of the oracle or something you look at the classifieds in the back or berkeley barb and you look at the their little miniature entertainment section in the back it's shocking how many acts, how many bands are playing. I mean, all the classic, you know, psychedelic bands were playing. Like, any given weekend, there'd be, you know, 10, 20 shows going on around the Bay Area. But who knew at the time, because there was no internet, and most of us weren't reading the, you know, the entertainment section in the back of the barb or the Oracle. Um, probably we should have. But I'm just amazed at how much was actually going on. But we would only hear about this or that. And um, what I noticed from my, my friend's older brother was he was actually getting the cards that I was having to go down to the record shops to pick up off the counters. He was getting them mailed to him. He had them in his mail pile at the house. And I was looking at, this was like in 66, and I, I, had, I, I was like, how did he get this thing mailed to him? I thought that was the coolest thing ever because I was collecting these things and I was like, I want, I got to get on the mailing list. So weirdly enough, it was actually the desire to get on the mailing list to get the Fillmore and Avalon postcards mailed to me that drove me to sneak over to San Francisco at night and actually go to the Fillmore and the Avalon and try to sign on to the mailing list. The fact of whichever band was playing like when we went, the few times that I went over there, didn't even matter. Right. We literally, the, the scene was so cool. Like I was blown away when I, I first went to the Avalon. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there was all these people and there was all these girls and there was, they had black light going and people were painting themselves up under the black light. They had surround projections going on multiple walls, um, which was, a whole nother thing, the light shows. I mean, uh, some of my friends were starting to make a light show at, at, at junior high. You know, everybody was had to have a light show, and right. a lot of the young bands that were starting up were all, you know, going psychedelic. Um, but I got turned on to a lot of the bands and the music, sort of in the pursuit of the posters, you know, because th right. there's names, really cool names, like who is Ferumius Bandersnatch, you know, like who is Mad River? Like that's a cool sounding name. Who is that band? You'd you'd end up then, you know, seeing the band, get turned on to the music, and so I came at it a little ass backwards, coming in from the art attracting me into the scene, 
but ultimately the music that was going on was the most exciting sort of scene that was happening. So I mean, yeah. there, you know, that was going to obviously attract, you know, all the kids were going to go and, and check out the music, you know, and I, I had certain bands that I really liked too that were bigger, you know, like, oh, you know, Buffalo Springfield or something, or um, I was really into the Love and Spoonful at one point, and then Buffalo Springfield, and then Cream was, I was a just a monster Cream fan, and when Cream came over, and like, I think it was like January of 67, um, a couple of my mom's friends, like artist friends of hers, agreed to take me over. Um, but we also, like I said, we snuck over too. A lot of times my mom thought I was staying over at my friend's house, Classic and his mom story. thought he was staying over at my house. But, you know, actually we were, you know, underage and over in San Francisco, uh, you know, trying to go over and see music. But, you know, uh, uh, I was probably 10 years younger than most of the people who were in the bands and the people that, like, ran the you know, ran the auditoriums and the people that were making the scene, you know, are probably, like I'm 66 now, they're probably 76 to 81-ish. Right. You know, most of those people that were kind of coming up and running the scene were um, born in the early 40s. Um, but there was a group of people just above them that are probably in their 80s now, if, if the ones that are still around, that right. were a little more beatnicky. And right. a little more from that earlier folk scene and stuff. Those kind sure. of people were still around, but it was these people who were about 10 years older than me that were really running things right around then. Oh, man, I love that. That is, that is so So great. I was just old enough to like be able to get in and actually go right. by myself, but I was, like I say, about 10 years younger than most of the people that were really making all the things happen. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got to you know, see some of it live and, yeah. you know... Remind me, I just read an amazing article the other day about when Cream hit the Bay, what what happened, like how people reacted from musicians to fans to the scene. I'm gonna. Yeah, because the English thing, you know, we most when I was a kid, the big argument was uh, well, when we lived down in L.A. for a minute, we moved away from Berkeley for one minute down to um, L.A., but um, it was like, uh, you know, the it was Beatles versus you know the like Dave Clark Five or whatever you know it was people were like uh, it was Dave Clark Five or the Beach Boys in Southern California that's what it was that was the rivalry you either like the Beach Boys or you like the Dave Clark Five and then it was right the Beatles or the Stones that was the argument Beatles or Stones Beach Boys or Dave Clark Five but the, the English um, invasion right, was just kind of starting up like the Beatles was like Behind everything that was happening then was was the, the Beatles, um, you know, um, Revolver and Rubber Soul. Those sure. that was like the soundtrack six of six, behind yeah. a, a lot of what was going on because uh, it was widely distributed. A lot of the great bands we were talking about in San Francisco, um, we didn't necessarily get into all the bands and stuff. They were didn't have record deals yet. A lot of them didn't get record deals till like '67, '68 when the right. LA record company execs started seeing like gold mine up in San Francisco and starting yeah. to sign everybody and all that but before that it was like local yeah there, there were a lot of those bands were local like we saw Santana for free in the in, in Provo before their first album and everything and wow they sounded just like the first album but they hadn't you know got a contract yet and that's incredible 
you know, so much of what you just went took us through it just makes me think of a lot of different like lineages and stuff. But the one was like how you felt when you, you know, however you got yourself young self over the bridge and to the Fillmore or the Avalon and. Uh, it was like Xanadu. Right, like taking in the freaks. Because I just, for me, the first time I'm going to see the dead, it's in the hockey arena in 92. It's after they've become, you know, this thing. And I still, 13-year-old, 14-year-old me, from the car to the door to get in, that 12-minute walk, right, everything changed. Right, so, but, but this is something that's already the in the parking lot scene. And, the parking lot scene. I'm saying this is already exploded. It's 30 years in the making. Like by the time I get there at 14, you're seeing this be invented in front of your eyes. Like the scene, the art, the music, the coalescing of the cultures, yeah. the lineage from like, you know, the beat scene and Ginsburg and Kerouac and the pranksters into what you're describing in 66, 67 in the Bay. Young you is there for that. I mean, that, that's just But it's cool because in, in retrospect, I know, as I got old, now I know it wasn't so codified at that point. You know, like Deadheads hadn't happened yet. There right. wasn't um, like dress codes and that, you know, you don't always consider them dress codes, but there are these kind of dress codes I'm and things that there wasn't exactly, yeah, people hadn't figured it out quite yet. I, I kind of was, now that I'm older, I can look back and say that I could see that. You know, that it wasn't um, what became what people think of as how things were. It wasn't quite like that. It was less codified. People weren't sure what was happening. You know? It, uh, That's what's so beautiful about that, that, that so much, so many tentacles of the tree all these years later. But we're, right now, you, the three of us, are taking it back to the embryonic stage of, of wherever we were wherever we were at yeah well wherever we were at and and what you're describing is where it was all kind of born i mean really like geographically culturally artistically music art conversation like everything started in the times that you were lucky enough to be born and thrust into and and again it was the psychedelic art that got you there you didn't hear that was the attraction the attraction yeah I, yeah, and I love. That's why I want to talk more because. Uh, well, some about people are a little more art oriented, and some people are a little more music oriented. Right. I think. I mean, people have their different. Uh, yeah. I, I think most people. I think music sucks them in probably more. Uh, you know, art comes later. I think for a lot of people. That's a good transition because I understand from you. You kind of came. You're a collector, baseball cards, tapes, stuff as as a kid, as a youth, and then you have the the moment. Alex Gray and, and your, that experience as a youngster, but from what Maria tells me and from what I understand, it was like being a part of like dead culture, collecting posters, because lots of us go to shows and collect posters, right? And, and frame them up and they become, whether they're nostalgic valuable or fiscally valuable, but that's not this. I mean, what we're talking about here, what you're collecting, what you're introducing, not just me, but this community, this region to, is not the guy on dead lot collecting posters. This is a passion, this is a revolution. How did you get from that guy to, maybe not this, but to, to this the vision to say, I want to I want to build this? Well, definitely collected all the posters for all the shows that I ever went to. And I guess everything probably changed for me in 2008 when I discovered the work of Mars One and 
that was when he was painting live actually at the Greek theater um, it blew me away and at that point in time I contacted Mars and we hit it off and the first original painting that I bought was from Mars and some of my uh, some of my best friends were into the music festival scene symbiosis specifically and that's kind of where I really started commissioning live collaborative projects and you know never really had uh, any intention of turning that into a career so to speak but it was so much fun doing it and the response from everybody that got to experience it, the artists included, tying it together with the music. It was just an organic process that turned into something bigger than I think any of us probably ever anticipated. And it just made collecting art and commissioning art projects fun and interactive and sharing those experiences with that many people um, was a very profound and powerful thing for me and since then I, it's just kind of been my life's mission to build the collection and share the art and to make it as accessible to everybody as possible and so that's just that's kind of where I came from I suppose like collaboration is like what started my whole what started this right on yeah yeah it was interestingly enough, like as far as music festivals go, that was Symbiosis meant several years later, 2013, mm -hmm. that kind of gave me the, the handoff into this community. I'd been writing about Jazz Fest in New Orleans and Jam Cruise and Fish and, you know, post-dead projects in that world, but I really wasn't plugged into this world. And like I said, I came out here with Maria, I went to the Burn the first time, but a month later I went to Symbiosis and I was able to pitch an article and met people. And that's kind of how I landed in Grass Valley and also how I developed relationships in that, this sort of like West Coast festival world that enabled me to do coverage. And that's what I was telling you when I started this, it's like I'm trying to bring that all under one tent. You're doing it. Like I'm trying to tell the story. You're actually like we're in the tent and all this is around us. We've got Mars One from the sort of symbiosis universe and we've got Rick Griffin, and we've got Ralph Steadman, and we've got Jacaber, the OGs, sharing the space, complimenting one another, telling the, the story that's the same story we're verbally telling right now, this art is telling around us. And for you to, you know, however you manage to, to navigate this, to collect this, to build this, I mean, it's, it's powerful. Uh, really and righteous you know like the fact that you it was it was a passion but you saw somebody in poetry in motion watching Mars work to music and that that was that was it and like look at what we have now and like every festival we go to there's the live art section and there's auctions and there's charitable benevolent stuff that accompanies the art creations it's not it's doing more work, it's going back into the communities, into the earth, into projects that are of you know, serious importance. That kind of stuff is what makes this whole thing like a living, breathing organism, is, is the fact that it's not like, okay, you paint it and you build it and you show it and people get paid and they go home. No, it's, it's, it's collaborative is the best way you put it and it, 
and it, it's an organism that feels alive, you know. So I'm, I'm just like in awe and also just honored to have the opportunity to hear it from both of your lips and, and minds. I'm curious, Brian, what kind of um, collaborative music were you exposed to when you were coming up? Did you see like um, Fish or String Cheese or any of these? I, like what, was, what, what, did, what did you go and check out when I, you were coming up? Well, the widespread panic. Tennessee, but there wasn't really any live painting going on at those events back then. And but some of those bands are kind of collaborative. I mean, it's kind of the same kind of thing with the jam bands, right? I mean, they're and it's like a collaborative sure. effort. More, just, I mean, all, most music is pretty collaborative, but mm-hmm. the, the collaborative same. improvisation, I should yeah. say, with yeah. Some different sets every night. Lots yeah, of di- yeah, they're the playing, ripping off each other, and not hundred yeah. percent sure what's gonna, you know, with they have some context, but they don't know exactly. What's it's like Mason gonna... Dixon with fish. So I'm from, I'm a Yankee. I'm from mm-hmm. South Jersey. Went to college in Vermont. I'm a fish kid. I mean, I saw the dead at the mm-hmm. waning years, ninety-two to ninety-five. But oh, you caught the I'm dead. A, Good. Yeah, my half sister, like I said, took me to that show in ninety-two and at fourteen, and from the car to the door of the Philly Spectrum, mm-hmm. my whole world changed. I went from being like bar, junior varsity baseball pitcher, got bar mitzvahed, like trying to make my parents happy to this guy. Like, did you it, see like a, that there's like a community, you noticed oh, how all the people like, wow, there's a yeah. whole community of people that it was, were it was like, doing where, this. Where has this been? My, I was a metalhead. I loved Metallica and Slayer and Anthrax. I surfed. I still surf. But I mean, like mm-hmm. my, I was an adrenaline, aggressive music. I liked hip hop too. And my half-sister, who had seen that, it was like a fad for her. She'd seen The Dead a handful of times. I was like, you should go see The Grateful Dead. She showed me a steely. And again, I was a metalhead. I loved Metallica Slayer. I was like, cool, Skull. You know, granted, it was like the Aox Maxoa vibe, mm-hmm. not the Slayer Vermont vibe. And uh, I was like, cool, I'll go to that concert. And Based on seeing a steely face correct. or something? That's so funny. Correct. Isn't it funny the way little yeah. codified symbols I mean, I and stuff heard, like kind of like uh, exactly. appeal or invite their little mysterious little exactly. like, what is that little thing? What does it mean? Like why the sing alongs like some acoustic must have been like Ripple or Broke Down Palace, that kind of vibe at Sleepaway Camp. And I was like, ah, oh, this is some freedom rock hippie shit kind of like, yeah, like yeah. this is again thirteen year old me who sure. loves adrenaline music. But I was like, Oh, I go to a concert on a weeknight? With my half sister, Grateful Dead, Skull, sure, I'll go. They open with Touch, they close with Broke Down Palace. The show didn't even matter. Like the whole night is my was like a seismic shift. Watching spinners and people yes. going around and just all the spinners like navigating. I had to piss. I shared like a tall beer with my cousin, and I I didn't drink. I was a little kid. I had to piss and navigating the spinners. What? 
to get to the bathroom, 14-year-old me. I'll never forget. You don't want to bump into them. You don't want to mess up their flow. But I had to piss so bad, you know? Like, anyway, <laughs> point being, like, those type of transformative experiences is, like, you know, sets the gear shift for the rest of your life. And so that's why I wanted to hear from you, like, the embryonic stage when it all began. And then somebody like you, who's from a different generation, a different region, and it was panic that showed you something similar like wow people get together and they do this and they dance like this and the band reacts like this it's like you feel like you just found out the secret to the universe and everything changes and like look what you have grown you know erect grow build from that inspiration and i feel like that's an amazing both of your stories are amazing and there's symbiotic and also lineage and intergenerational and you know i, I love it and you know it's beautiful just to hear it and then to connect the dots and understand the importance of all of it it's impressive and and humbling, really, to be uh, to sit across from you know Hunter S. staring at me while we're talking this conversation. Like uh, talk about reading *Fear and Loathing*. Like just e everything he did spoke to like me as a as a sort of cookie cutter teenager from strip malls in South Jersey. Reading just like looking at you know Axe Maxoa covers. Reading Hunter S. was like wow, there's a whole another world out there universe that i have no idea about mm -hmm. but it may or may not exist but so arts I'm, arts like a it's kind of a subgenre to music i mean music's big i mean there's you know you get uh i don't know say you get like a fifty thousand hundred thousand people are showing up for some festival or whatever they're there for mostly for the music and for the social interaction but there's there's going to be a certain amount of them that are interested in art I mean it's arts especially oh, yeah. for um, people that are have a little proclivity towards the psychedelic experience um, the art is really something fun that everybody's not necessarily a musician and everybody can't necessarily jump up and get invited in with the band to play but the, there's an accessibility to art and I think it's so many of us um, I mean, honestly, when it comes to tripping, I, I think art's actually got the advantage. I think, um, obviously, through our ears and hearing is one of our main senses, and it, it, the, the hearing, uh, the sensory input goes straight into some of the oldest parts of the brain, and we know that you know all the emotions that music can trigger and kind of um, play with, but. I think what uh, draws a lot of people to, to tripping in the first place is visuals and sure. art is taps right into that. I mean, a lot of people have something to say after the experience. They feel like, uh, you know, maybe they thought something or they had some great experience, but often they saw something or they see things differently or they want to try to express stuff. So, I mean, art is just a, a wonderful medium in this Melu of like psychedelic music and psychedelic experience and stuff. So it's just it's a, a little underserved, you know, because the industry of music has yeah. made it so easy to make and trade and, and, and broadcast and, you know, transport arts a little bit behind in terms of like, um, you know, uh, its ability to kind of export itself to everybody, but it's it's coming up and for those of us that are really visually oriented it's uh you know 
it's super addicting once you get involved you know either whether you're just it, like collected stuff or looking at stuff it's uh, you know it's it's highly attractive and uh, there's there, it's a smaller group of people I think but it's really dedicated bunch of people that are just hugely you know visually oriented yeah yeah there's a whole huge visual art scene that, to my experience in the sort of West Coast festival community it's a major presence the, the live art or just art installations in general, much more so than I find East Coast, although there are some events on the East Coast that have begun to embrace it. Certainly the live painting, but even big art. Um, and of course, like with, certainly with Fish and to almost the same extent Panic, the poster art scene is huge. The poster community, the art community there is vibrant and it's not just the official artists. There's a whole cottage industry, like fan art, like what was it like when you got here? Like when you're seeing Mars One for the first time, like holy shit, to now. How do you see that evolution? No, there, there was not a whole lot of live painting going on when I first saw these guys painting live and when we first started doing it. Now it's obviously uh, in a crucial part of every festival. Um, I think the live painting element is, it has exploded and has almost gotten a little bit watered down in a lot of ways, but uh, it's a major part of every festival and every yeah. show, it seems, you know. How do we maintain the sort of uh, evolution, the, the kaleidoscopic nature of all of this and not water it down? I find this in music a lot. So the streaming era, the MP3 era, made it so that every producer could make a record in his room Every rapper could put something on SoundCloud, and of course, now you got to sift through a ton of stuff to really find the diamonds in the rough. Is, it, is that like an applicable thing here? Is it too big? What made it watered down? Uh, just, I, I think uh, it comes down to just quality over quantity. Right. You know, and uh, for me, I've always kind of had a more focused niche, and maybe that's. Uh, not the best approach, but for me, that's the only way I really knew how to do it. Um, I've always just had a very, you know, narrow focus on what was most interesting to me. So I did everything that I could to just create and produce and be involved in high quality, high production value and just, uh, you know, amazing events. Being very selective, you know, haven't done a ton of the live painting things. You know, there's probably been a couple handfuls. Okay. You know, you'd be selective over it as opposed to just doing it to do it. Also, you mentioned yeah. a, a word there that kind of threw Brian for a second. You said something about fan art, but it's yeah. not fan oh. art. Is it's a right. it's a loaded word. We, I don't think we're specifically yeah. talking too much here about people who are fans of, like, say, rock bands yeah. or stuff like that. It's fans of this psychedelic experience. Sure. I think that's, you're going to see most of these people who are involved in psychedelic art. They're fans yeah. of the psychedelic experience clarify. itself. And in that sense, there's a lot of people right. who are just fascinated with the, it's all about the experience to a certain yeah. extent, you know? Of course. Um, so a lot of the art that, Brian's showing um, that's what it has in common. People are, ex are fans of the experience and deal with it in their own way. I mean, all you know, the these the festivals. I mean, are 
mostly, I mean, if people are tripping at the festivals, they're having experiences. Sure. And um, art is just a great way for people to, you know, uh, synthesize some of their experiences and, ha you know, try to have it make sense to them and put it, you know, it's something that they can physically play with afterwards at home or on their own or, you know, e even on the spot in a collaborative right. sense. But, um, you know, that it's... I don't think that it pays lip service specifically to the music or, or, or the culture. It, it's something pretty individual. You know, right. people ha get pretty um, excited about their experiences. And, you know, for art people, they can't wait to, like, sort of infuse their art with whatever they're going through. I mean, that's... I'm just looking around Brian's gallery here, and almost all of it, I, I'd have to say, that's got to be what's happening here there. Oh, it is. You know, these are these are expressions of people's people's experiences and and, and what they what interests them in terms of right. trying to put it down with some kind of materials, you know, paint or ink or bronze or all all the different things here. But that's what they've all got in common. I mean, right. fans of psychedelics is really <laughs> who. I mean, some of the people are wildly right. talented and really dedicated and work so hard at it. And there's other people that they just got it is a paint with their fingers right. <laughs> when they were tripping and it's uh you know it's pretty legitimate too yeah they're both art for art's sake but i want to backtrack to something that you had said a minute ago about being selective about uh you're like i identify and focus on things that are you know wow me or important to me um what are some of the signposts like framing it positively like what wows you what brings you in and says, I want to have that, that's good for the collection, or even just intrigues you? Well, I think, uh, you know, getting getting Mars together with Alex Gray, because Alex Gray was the early hero in my psychedelic art life, that was a, a no-brainer, and that felt like something that should happen, and took years to make it happen, and I just enjoy pairing different artists with other masters of different generations so that they can teach each other all the tricks of the trade that they've learned through their whole life and you know a lot of that's just to uh, entertain myself but it's worked in a way that uh, it's broadened the audience and I think a lot of these guys have learned a lot from each other and I get uh, I get a lot of excitement about that you know yeah to be like a conductor almost of like this yeah, just a connector of connected, dots yeah. You know? Yeah, and and I mean that's what you've been in this experience. You've brought us together, have this conversation. You, on a macro sense, you brought this community together to see this art and to sort of like appreciate it. You know, um, I just think that that's important to note. I really wanted to like help tell your story specific because you are at the center of all this stuff. You know, the story being told. You know, the greatest story ever told. So this is. The, the, the bigger picture from where Jacaber was as a youngster sneaking over to those early shows or seeing art on the wall and finding himself at the B in or whatever is going on free concerts to us here right now like that is the in my life the greatest story ever told and you are not just like talking about it you're living it you're being it you're putting the people together to do it and I, I don't I don't even know if a connector or conductor is, is the word it's it's I don't know, we're going to come up with something because it's really an important role 
and I just wanted to dap you up and say like thank you for for doing this for you know building this. It's an influence. It's an influencer. Honor and a pleasure. You know, I'm trying to bring uh, this sort of art in, into a more uh, inviting environment and, and more accessible to everybody. You know. Yeah. I got two more questions because we're coming up on an hour, and I know we want to go to the house and we want to walk around. One for each of you. Um, you referenced before Psychedelic Solution was your gallery, am I right? Mm -hmm. And you had said off the record when we were talking earlier that his gallery was legendary and that uh, that was like a pivotal thing. So any reflections or information you want to share about, about that part of your life, part of your career, the Psychedelic Solution gallery? And <clears throat> I guess yeah, it's, it reminds me a little bit of... Um this cycle just is uh, always going. Um, in the 80s, I thought it's interesting how a lot of people that used to seem like they seemed like they were together back in the 60s had kind of all the scene had kind of blown up and people had gone off in a lot of different directions and become, I guess, what you'd call kind of interest or affinity groups, kind of that developed in different trajectories. And I thought it'd be interesting. I, I wanted to do a gallery that had to do with psychedelic art, but I thought it'd be interesting to try to get some of these different groups of art and show them in a series of shows that would make people realize they all had something in common. So we did shows with people like, um, say, Mikio and Phil Brown, who got their start doing t-shirts in the parking lot in the late 70s, early 80s, other people who were doing horror and fantasy type art like H.R. Giger, 60s poster artists, the classic guys who I wanted to see them get looked at again in a new place and a new time, you know, because I thought the work was so great. In the 60s, why wouldn't people be interested to see it again in, say, New York in the 80s instead of, you know, reconsider it. So it was to attempt to um, get people to look at a bunch of different art as all being related and um, we, we ran a, a lot of different shows that I thought they were all all had some kind of a tie-in you know the, the without pointing to it exactly that I felt it was you know psychedelics were at the at least a strong influence if not at the root of most of the art that we showed so that's what we were that was kind of the focus and interestingly it seems like it's sort of happened all over again. Um, people have splintered again, whereas right now everybody's sort of drawing, redrawing lines again. Here we are, what is it, another 30 years later, and right. everybody's drawing lines of what they're, what they're about. You know, oh, we're with this interest group. We're interested in, um, you know, gender issues is 100% it, or we're interested in... Um, you know, this is like identity politics here over race or ethnicity, or we're, it's strictly about, you know, the um, global warming. I mean, it was called ecology back, you know, when I was a kid. But I mean, people are kind of um, sort of, you know, s separating them out into, uh, separating themselves out into different identity affinity groups again. It's happened, it's the same thing that's going on right now. and. Um, you know, I, I guess it's just a cycle that always happens, but yeah. I think Brian's to some extent doing the same thing, getting some, pulling in some interesting people from the past 
and different types of artists. I mean, that's one of the things that attracts me to what he's doing here. Is he's, it's not just that he's got these collaborative guys that he's been super personally interested in working with, like Oliver Vernon and um, Mars One, um, but he's pulling in some interesting stuff that I think he thinks people might not be aware of that he's gotten turned on to and interested in, yeah. you know, from, from different, different scenes and starting to put them all up so you might come in to look at some of the stuff that you might have seen at Symbiosis or something or, you know, know that it's currently hot, but you might get turned on to something like Roger Dean that you weren't aware of at all and it's right. like wait a second who is this guy that's what he did prog rock album covers in the 70s and it's like who you know yeah so i mean i i, I feel kind of a special affinity for what what he's doing because it, it well it's kind of like a a mirror to some extent of what i was doing but you know current yeah i would agree it's it is you know there's a will it go around in circles i mean it, it is really like just right back to where you were when you conceived and, and built psychedelics. It's like a spiral. Yeah. It's just, it's a different uh, loop of the spiral now. It is essential. Like, I think that the lineage is important. If we were just here looking at the contemporary stuff, we'd have no frame of reference. How did we get here? What was the path? Who, who told these stories? Who had the psychedelic solutions, etc.? I think that, I mean, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm sitting here. That's why I'm doing this story. And, and again, it comes back to music, and that's what draws me in as a professional and as a personal passion. Um, I walked in here on that Thursday night, the first person I saw was Jason Kibler, DJ Logic, who I've known. The reason I was in New York City for 9-11 was I was writing one of my first show reviews of his show, which is, it was at the Wetlands, the last night they played, because it was right by oh, you the made towers. It, you made it to the Wetlands? Yeah, cool. many, many times, but this was oh. the very last night because of what happened the next day. And it was recently the 20th anniversary and I did a big story on that, like revisiting, not what happened, but the night in New York, the night before. It was a Jamiroquai record release party. Then DJ Logic yeah. played with like Warren Haynes and that was one of my first big stories. We We sold. We were a ticket outlet. Psychedelic Solution was a ticket outlet for Wetlands oh, too, that's and we, we always helped. Larry Block was a huge fan of ours, so Rest we were always peace, uh, Larry Block, legend. Yeah, we okay. like we were ten Missed. blocks from Wetlands, um, and you that know, changes the whole thing. He, I thought he, it was it, no. It's like sim, the they were like concurrent and symbiotic. I mean, he came up a couple few years after we opened up, but How it was. Yeah, we were. All, it was great because all my staff was invited. Like they could always get free drinks and get in, and it you was know, the hub. And it was yeah, yeah, they happened. were. It was part of what there was several, several entities going at that point. But yeah, it was yeah. right downtown in the. So so when I walked into the department, I met you, and the first time I came here, the soft opening. He was the first familiar face I saw. You know, and I hadn't seen him in person in a while because of all the stuff that's been happening. So that was really comforting, right? And then. 
and then I, uh, you know, had a similar like amazing experience with Mars One at the Eclipse Festival, where two of my favorite DJs from British Columbia, Goopsteppa and Leland River, played. They're like buddies from British Columbia, growing up childhood friends, and they played for three hours back and forth, just the two of them, while they painted, and the sun came up. Uh, with my now fiance, we had just started dating. You know, it was a truly magical night to hear like these DJs who I've loved since they were kiddos. With my, you know, I'm going to marry her in a few months. Watching them create at the Eclipse, another just really powerful experience. You know, and and so to walk in here and I was like, there's just ma major elements of my own journey present in this room on that night. And then came the music all weekend here in Gaslamp, here in Logic, here in Cubert. Uh, I want to finish with music. We started with music. I'm a music yeah. guy. This is a music website. How do they get involved with this? Uh, how does, or musicians in general, and specifically them, three legends, un totally not connected, Logic and, and, and Gaslamp and Cubert are legends in their own right and not connected. So how do they end up in this little ass gallery and share about footnotes? Cubert's been a good buddy for uh, the last like twelve years. Um, Gaslamp always played our sets at Symbiosis, so I've known him for about seven years. Uh, the musical element really wanted to focus a lot on because we're starting a record label. And, wow. and Dan Merrill, who records under a path untold, he's the one that opened the nights for us every night. Right. And we're about to have our record release party. And I, I, I want to start tying more musical elements into every show. Uh, Logic just hit me up on Instagram. It was just like, hey, man, can I come to the show? And I was like, hell yeah, you can come to the show, dude. I love your shit for the last 20 years. Like, right. You want to bring a couple crates? Come on out. You know, and so that's just kind of how that happened. And, you know, by doing the after party, uh, just trying to figure out a way to be able to make the whole musical element financially somewhat sustainable into right. the future. You know, yeah. but uh, all those guys are just buddies. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just amazing to have them all here, you know. Oh yeah, and for like, you know, I was lucky to come to several nights, not just the party at the club, but here at the gallery, and just to hear the selections. I remember we walked in, right when we saw DJ Logic, Guess Up was playing, he was playing Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just, I, I told you, I grew up on metal. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I'm in the right place, I found my people. There's, you know, like dead art on the wall, Hunter S over there, there's this Stedman piece, so right when I walk in, and they're playing Sabbath, I was just like, thanks Maria for the tip. <laughs> this is where I need to be. But I, I love that you're doing the record label as much as, or whatever you can tell us about that. What's it called? And uh, what you said you're releasing a Path Untold's record in a month? Yeah. Yeah, it's a new album called uh, Sorcery. What is the label called? The Chambers Project. Chambers Project. Yeah. Cool. And yeah. so you're going to be doing a little bit of releases here and there? Yeah, and commissioning all those guys, Gaslamp, Cubert, to do like exclusive monthly mixes oh, that we can cool, put out man. in between releases through the website and just trying to share more of this soundtrack through our audience and through all of our friends. That's amazing. I love that. I mean, I love the music tie. And I also actually have to acknowledge I love that it wasn't some industry shit. These are friendships. These are relationships not a booking agent and uh, let me hit this on my tour but these guys wanted to be here to be a part of this and i think that really speaks to the nature of what you're doing here 
So, you, man. Yeah, we got yeah. some amazing friends. Very fortunate. There's a ton of music woven all through. I don't know if you can ultimately really separate it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, to some extent, that's the psychedelic experience is a little like that. I mean, it's all the senses, you know, it's all woven together. It's really hard to separate. I mean, how many artists or musicians or musicians or artists? Right. You, you know, I mean, I'm looking across the room here. I'm looking at a Jerry Garcia painting and a Jimi Hendrix painting right there. I know. I mean, just for literal, you know, musician that's an artist, an artist that's a musician. I remember always growing up hearing the stories of, you know, like uh, what Brian Jones and whatever coming, you know, Mick Jagger. Was it or was it uh, Keith? you know, coming right out of art school and right. guys from Pink Floyd. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people never knew exactly what they were going to be doing. Um, was it going to be music or was it going to be art? Right. You know, it's all... It's all connected. It's all connected. I mean, what did Jerry like to do? Watercolors. In his spare time yeah. at home, like, that, you know, when he got could get people off his back. And, right. Yeah, just doing yeah. art. It's, it's all tied together pretty much. You know, it's like, oh, wow, 1966 Garcia painting. But that is just the tip of the iceberg here. I mean, and it's a cool painting. And Garcia is like my guy, but... Well, I love, I love that painting. That he, that's, it's really primitive. Well, it's also, he's, he's, he's giving it its 100% due. He's pushing paint. It's like, it's, he's like, you could see, yeah. he's into the materials. It's sure. not about, like, uh, it's about... The, 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 it's like an action art piece, right. you know. He's he's you could see him there, you know, making it. Like it's about the the motion and the rhythm of making it, as well as like uh, it's not. I don't think he was worried about like what he's trying to make. Like oh, I'm right. trying to paint some Just image creating. in my head. He's yeah, he's he's creating. I mean, in '66, could it be possible that he there was a part of '66 that he wasn't tripping? Um, Maybe, I mean. <laughs> or or like had just tripped right, or was just right. gonna yeah. trip. So that piece is like. I mean, it was in the it was in the ducks. But I see I see somebody and, that's enjoying the hell out of actually doing what he's doing. Like it's, sure. it's I'm just surprised that, that in '66 he was. It's so he, into he the was material. Like considered himself a, a painter, an artist. It, I thought that was like a later in life pursuit, but yeah. I, I, the fact that it dates to you know the acid test era in '66 is when. It was on fire, you know, so and yeah. maybe that's what was yeah. happening there. Maybe but, he was so I, high, he just was like... But I like the fact that he's using yeah. the, the, the canvas in that space there for some experimenting. I mean, to me, that looks like a, he's he's just, a, you know, imp, improvising. He's, you Much know, like he's got his, he's, you know, reminds me of watching, uh, watching Mario, actually, you know. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, he's just, you know, what's coming out of his hands right there. I loved watching... Uh, Mars and uh, Oliver at the Haven, which I hadn't been to the Haven since I lived here a couple years ago. Um, you know, occasionally they'd have some painting there, but nothing quite like that. But uh, just seeing them in the enclosed space, like not big, wide open festival, sort of f fresh air, sunrise, whatever. It was really enclosed, compact energy. And like, of course, like Qbert's playing like hard drum and bass, you know, like, and, that last set with Gaslamp and like Boggle trading dance hall jams. It was, it was so, it was the other side of the coin of what I was describing at Eclipse, the sort of idyllic, beautiful, great expanse outdoors and then just on the canvas 
life size, you know, in this low ceilings, heavy bass, lots of people in closed space, and then seeing what came from that was really just cool. It was another side of the coin, another part of the collaborative live art experience. How do you think we did? Is there anything else that either of you would like to share that we haven't? I mean, obviously we're going to look at some art. I might record you telling me some shit later, but... Uh, well, there's a lot to talk about. We'd yeah. probably be glad to yeah. do another one of these down the road. To. I mean, yeah. if you, know, you live in the Bay, I live in the Bay, you find yourself in the Bay, we do it down there. We can meet back up here. Especially with the music stuff, I want to be an ally however I can with that. Right on, man. Yeah, yeah. now we can we'll run through a whole lot more stuff at the house and we can, you know, follow up on all this and we can get him on the phone. And there's so much yeah. conversation, especially when you're just starting to get into certain artists and certain yeah. art and... Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think but w um, one of the interesting things that, that blew up my gallery um, was um, that, that MTV, the advent of MTV happened right around the time, um, mid-80s, when the gallery opened up. And they, had, they, they wanted to do MTV News. That was their big idea. They wanted to have a news channel, but they didn't know. They, they were trying to figure out what, what you know, to put in the news and there wasn't enough news really with just straight music news so they came to us because a lot of the shows were music related a lot of the artists had have music um, involvements and um, you know the, it was ultimately music uh, um, you know a music network basically performance music network that that sort of blew up my gallery because uh, ultimately I mean that's where um, a lot of the interest in visual art comes from is, right. you know. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm really grateful. J.K. Burley, I know your time is limited, and I just want to say thank you for making the time. It was I learned a lot, which doesn't always really? happen with interviews. Amazing. But to, well, I should, right? Like, I mean, I'm listening to right. people who live here. You talk to this guy for yeah. Hours. We should do it. We should. We could do whatever. We're neighbors. I'm interested. I want to be an ally, not just the music, but to anything. So if I can ever be. Of service. If you ever need to get the well, word out. If you ever want to listen to someone talk too much, feel free. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm always, podcast, uh, that's what I do. I mean, yeah. This is, we, uh, I'm at 52 episodes. I just had Jay Blakesburg on. Oh, Jay, Jay shot at our shows and yeah. stuff. Jay was, Jay was over at Psychedelic Solution a number of yeah. times. Well, yeah. we talked a, a bit of poster art on that episode. Just a little. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because he was just telling me about, you know, when he arrived in San Francisco and what life was like then, mm -hmm. which was... Ten years after you're talking about, he got there like 78, 79. Yeah, we got a lot of, there was a, always a lot of support from the music community. It's just uh, like fun watching some, I mean, just thinking of like, say, David Byrne, like watching him, how he looked at art was kind of a trip. I bet. You know, because he would stand in front of pieces for the longest time. It reminded me of me. I mean, you, you wondered, what is he seeing? He's standing there so long and nobody <laughs> wanted to bother him. But he'd just park himself in front of a piece and then all of a sudden he'd just start laughing. He has this funny, like, funny laugh. And it was just so immersed, you know. And, uh, and David the, Byrne in the 80s in New York, I mean, just iconic, you know, like, come on. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of people, a lot of musicians there. came through. I like to think that some of the musicians got inspired by the art, oh, you know. No I mean, because no it, sure. it's, it's just like cross inspirations that this is all about. All right, all right. This is awesome. This is a few weeks later. I'm back with the Chambers Project, Brian Chambers and also Dan Merrill. 
recording artist, producer of Path Untold. We wanted to talk a little more about the musical side of the Chambers Project. We touched on it a little bit when I was up at the gallery last month, um, but we understand we're kind of close to release date and the finish line for this project. And I figured we got to talk about that too. So welcome back, Brian, and welcome to the Upful Life podcast, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. So it's a Sunday morning out here in, in California, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk. So, Brian, let's start with you, man, because um, this is your baby and the, the Chambers Project bears your name. What was your vision or, or what is the musical arm of the Chambers Project all about? Music has always been uh, a major influence and kind of goes hand in hand with the arts. Um, Dan and I met first... Uh, Gosh, I guess a couple of years ago, prior to us meeting, I'd been a fan of his music for um, a solid decade plus. And after we met and kind of figured out that all our musical tastes and inspirations kind of align with one another and our overall ethos of what we believe in and what we're going for, it just kind of made sense to uh, you know to extend from the visual arts into the musical arts and together we've just decided that we want to try to redefine the merging of uh, sight and sound in a way that uh, we've not really seen before and kind of soundtrack shows and yeah Dan's just uh, Dan's been working on this new album for a very long time and uh, just moved to town I guess not just moved to town, been here over a year at this point. So just kind of, you know, the timing and alignment just kind of worked out in a way that uh, it complemented each other. And and here we are. I love that. Um, I, I love it because we talked a lot last time about the merging of of musical culture and psychedelic art. But a lot of what we were talking about was past tense, was about history and what about came before us. And, and this is obviously, you know, you, you had a showcase of a lot of current visual artists with the Chambers Project, like a Mars, Mars One, Oliver Vernon. But this is a musical side of pushing the culture forward. And, you know, it's a complementary symbiotic relationship, music and art. And I love the vision. And I had an opportunity to sink into a bit of a path untold in this past month. You know, for those listening, I had opportunity to meet Dan. Uh, a Path Untold out in front of the gallery just after I did this conversation with Jacaber and Brian. And we knew we had to kind of get familiar with one another. So Dan, A Path Untold, why don't you just take a moment? Because um, your music's new to me and I imagine uh, there'll be some of my listeners that are already familiar and a number that aren't. So before we get into the project now, uh, Brian referenced, you know, that you've been doing this a long time. He's been a fan for 10 years. So uh, give us the cliff notes of your musical journey before you arrived in Nevada City. Yeah, so I, you know, I started producing um, pretty obsessively back in 2001, 2002. Started using Ableton Live like as soon as it came out in beta version. Uh, started really developing my ideas and formed uh, a duo project that I had for quite a while, which is what Brian became aware of, um, called Aligning Minds, and we recorded and released and toured under that name was my best friend, Mike Folk and I, um, we had that going pretty strong for about 12, 13 years. And 
you know, we, we had a long track record of a lot of amazing times playing in a lot of festivals and um, a lot of everything from art galleries to psychedelic events and everything in between that sort of just organically started to disband around 2014 ish. And I started to uh, explore some other sounds and styles and ideas that were calling to me, uh, which ultimately evolved into the project that I'm doing now, A Path Untold. Sound is a bit different than what I was doing with the other project. It's gone into some directions that are very, um, I guess I would say uncompromising. Like this project has been really about me just really making what I want to hear and like what I would like to find out there. So yeah, my project is, I guess I would describe it as a cinematic, psychedelic, deep, melodic fusion of, of a bunch of different genre influences that have been calling to me for a long time. Everything from like Future Garage and Deep House to like cinematic down-tempo ambient and IDM. And even with the kind of splash of medicine music influence from ayahuasca experiences and psychedelic experiences. So um, yeah, that's it's kind of evolved in that way. And this is my third full-length album under this project. The first one I put out was called Secret Subtle Light in 2015, which was actually on um, a record label that I had formed under Aligning Minds. It was called Aligning Minds Recordings. But <clears throat> we, yeah, to go into that a little further, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. I have a child. My my partner at the time, you know, he he also has a child. So we life kind of took its own direction. And, you know, we kind of went our separate creative ways for, uh, you know, it is what it is. So that's kind of how that evolved. But um, yeah, now here I am kind of like fully, exploring and realizing the sounds that I've been super passionate about making a reality. Word. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you for the, you know, the kind of detailed trip through your journey. And, you know, I remember the name Aligning Minds. I think I, I kind of arrived in this world towards the end of that, you know, like 2012, 2013. And uh, I have also, you know, really appreciated artists like yourself and certainly ones I've encountered in Nevada city and sort of the West coast community, uh, putting that kind of intention into the music that isn't really based on party starting and getting crunk, but is a bit of a deeper, like I said, more intentional, but doesn't sacrifice any of the, you know, oomph, any of the sort of physicality of the sound, you know, you were kind enough to send over a few samples and I put them on my good headphones and just kind of like sank back into the listening experience. And I totally, and I was on zero psychedelics, but obviously I've been there enough times in my life to plug into the sort of signposts, colors and sensory emotional tones in the music that are clearly influenced by the psychedelic experience, whether it be medicine or lysergic or whatever. So totally understand why Brian felt that this project was in alignment with the Chambers project. You know, it just, and I wondered for a while, like, hmm, wonder what this is gonna be like because what, what the Chambers project's doing on the visual side is so ambitious. And I have to say, I think you, you meet them there with your own musical ambition. 
And I'm excited to see where this project goes. We're going to play a song at the end of this episode in full. So people get an opportunity to hear what this is about, but obviously the full length is dropping. Are you, are you able to give us a release date on the air? Yeah. So it's at the full length is going to drop on the magical number of two twenty two twenty two, and the single, the, uh, the lead single from the album heart matters will, will drop on uh, 2.11.22. So we're, we're, using that to kind of build up some excitement and give people a peek into what the sound is. And then the full length offering will, will drop a couple of weeks later. Right on, right on. So yeah, we'll put yeah. some links in the show notes when those become available along with the chambers project links and stuff. Brian, let me ask you this um, with regard to the album coming out. And obviously you just had this, as I mentioned, ambitious gallery project. Um, what do you see for, kind of the next chapter both with music like what do you envision the chambers project doing um in the tailwind of the momentum that's going to come from a path untold and uh just curious while we're at it what plans you have on the visual side like what's next what are you dreaming up yeah sure um well musically our goal and our intention is to try to put out an exclusive dj mix monthly under the label um we kind of the gas lamp killer was uh, kind enough to record us an exclusive mix that we just put out on our newsletter last week um you know moving forward i think dan and i have uh plans of doing a remix album of sorcery um dan definitely has plans of doing some dj mixes Got a bunch of other friends who want to do mixes for us. Um, you know, Dan's been working on another EP that we're planning on dropping this summer, you know, and I think, uh, you know, this is just kind of the beginning. And from here, we'll launch off into different areas of our mutual networks and tap into all our other creative friends and just see how we can collaborate and see where it goes. Um, as far as the gallery is concerned, I do have a date for our next show. Um, the next show is going to be, um, it's going to be a survey of all the collaborations that the further crew, Mars One, Oliver Vernon, Damon Soul, David Chong Lee, and Nomi Adana have done over the last 13 years. So the gallery is going to be full of big collaborative canvases that have been done at symbiosis burning man various musical events over the years um still piecing together what musicians and djs are going to be playing for this show dan will definitely be one of them um you know so still kind of putting together the musical element of the next show but it's definitely going to be a good one so i would uh i'd encourage you to come for it it'll be it's going to be a hitter if i'm if i'm here if i'm you know, drivable. Uh, I'll be there. You know, this is my kind of thing. I want to continue to cover it, not just do the story and the podcast once, but, you know, I'm grateful and honored that I was invited to this experience at your gallery and in your home and had a, a dialogue with Dan in the rollout. So yeah, I'm down, you know, I'm putting this out. You know, what you were saying before, Dan, about making this record is like music and art that you would want to hear. So you're making it. I mean, that yep. resonated with me because that's what I'm doing here. Like I'm making a show exactly. 
of content that I find interesting. And, you know, it's hit or miss. I mean, sometimes I, it goes huge. Sometimes only a couple hundred people listen. But I know that I put this energy and this content and media into the ether forever. And so I understand that exactly. that is a burning desire that you can't really put. It's not a price. There's no like accolades attached to it. I mean, if that stuff comes, that's great. But like the the reward is like the giving birth to the to the art, to the content. And I think that applies to all three of us here. I mean, Brian, too. 100 percent. So the yeah, the, the saying uh, don't make what's there, make what's not there has always applied i think and yeah that's that's what i'm interested in pursuing because it's just truly the only 100 percent satisfying path and creatively that i've found in my life you know so yeah 100 percent. like that's that's what we're about and 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 one final little um addition is also just wanted to let people know that you know we're going to be doing a beautiful physical deluxe package with Miles Tolan doing art. You know, he did the cover and there's going to be extended artwork. So it's going to be a vinyl double LP package that we're going to drop early summer. Indeedy. want to say thank you and large up to the Chambers Project, all the cats, Brian Chambers, of course, Jacaber Caster, Dan Merrill, A Path Untold. That's what you're hearing in the background here. A little bit of Sunrise on the Moon from his forthcoming full-length record, Sorcery which is due on February 22nd. Uh, First single drops on February 11. And I'm going to be playing that track in just a few minutes. But I wanted to thank those guys for coming through the Up Full Life podcast. I learned a whole lot. There's a lot of history there. There's a lot of lineage and intergenerational psychedelic manifestation. So... It was a thrill to just get a peek inside the gallery and Brian's crib and uh, a little bit of a better understanding of the vision of what those individuals got going on. And uh, yeah, we're going to play a track from A Path Untold, but I wanted to take a moment and uh, just lament on the tragic passing of Joey Pye, photographer, artist from... Florida, who I know from the Spirit of Swanee Music Park and Bear Creek Festival for years, Purple Hatters Ball, Swanee Halloween. Uh, we worked together on some music media a few times. He was just he was a young cat with uh, just life force energy for music culture and and the Spirit of Swanee. And he loved lettuce and he loved Charles Bradley. He loved tons of music, but I mean we connected specifically on those artists and of course at the park and 
yeah, you can check out his work. It's, it's crazy to think that it, it's a, that's his legacy. Uh, but Staged Right was his company that he shot photos under and made artwork and t-shirts. Just an incredible dude. He photographed our engagement at Halloween 2018 in the photo pit during the Jamiroquai set. Uh, yeah, I asked him to do it because for a number of reasons. And I wrote him a bit of a eulogy on social, but I'm not going to read it. It's a bit personal and kind of lengthy. But I'd be remiss if I didn't offer him a tribute uh, because, you know, he was a part of this thing of ours, La Cosa Nostra, this sort of covering and the culture, the music, the stories behind the performances and the records and the personalities and the human beings and not just the musicians, but the production people and promoters and management and, of course, fans. Some of Joey's best pictures were of the audience or just of the scenery. He had a unique eye and lens, and that's just a sliver of why he'll be so sorely missed. It's crazy. Just uh, the last episode, we were saying goodbye to the great Greg Tate, and now, I mean, Joey Pye was one of a gazillion music photographers, but somebody that I knew and and really just loved the dude, loved his work, loved his energy, loved his passion. So instead of playing another song from ACT, which was my original plan, uh, I'm going to play Heart Matters from A Path Untold, which um, wonderfully is quite therapeutic and melodic and deep and emotional and just kind of like a perfect song for such a somber yet resonant occasion uh, because this music really does resonate uh, in that place so we're going to play the single from Sorcery Heart Matters but of course we have to play some Charles Bradley so I dug deep found uh, my man Adam Fertel Cheesehead Productions he's got the Charles Bradley and Extraordinaires from Bear Creek 2012 Daptone Super Soul Review the Daptone crew had a stage for the whole day shout out Paul Levine you're a genius man Sharon Jones Menahan Street Band it was an unbelievable day and Charles Bradley might have been uh, right there with Sharon jaw rest their souls the standout performance and I mean because Joey was a Swanee guy and he fell in love with Charles probably at this performance itself I thought what better way for the Vibe Junkie Jams to go from Heart Matters to Heart of Gold by Charles Bradley and the Extraordinaires from Bear Creek 2012 um, can't think of a better way to send off and salute Joey Pie uh hell of a guy I hope he knew how loved he was and is same goes for Charles Bradley Sharon Jones all the dearly departed but yeah that'll do it episode 53 the up for life podcast thank you the chambers project thank you a path untold thanks everybody that tunes in please smash that subscribe button you are love and we love you 
Goodbye. Job bless. Rest easy, Joey Pie. And we'll see you next time.
yet experienced the heart So once again, you will return to the stage so you will know the heart and soul of the Screaming Eagle, Mr. Charles Bradley. Can you turn the monitors up a little bit more, please?